Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Hope everybody's feeling good. So today is another episode on love and relationships. We're going to be working with number six in our reading section, right? The discourses for your consideration. If you're in my class, if you're not, this reading is from Alain de Bouton's book, Essays in Love. Very interesting piece. So I've got a few sections of the book here that I plan on sharing with all of you um, that I think speak to the following question generally, right? How can philosophy help us in love? So the first thing I want to start off with is a conception of love from ancient Greek culture, right? Plato's symposium, famous piece, where one of Plato's students, Aristophanes, sort of accounts for the feeling of familiarity that you have with somebody initially. Um, and this is a very sort of ancient Greek idea that we have in our modern culture, right? I think this is sort of a part of our sense of romanticism we have now, which we're going to be challenging that uh, throughout this episode. Literally for the ancient Greeks in this case, right, one conception of love was that we were all born with four arms, four legs, right, basically born as two people. And then we were so powerful in that form that Zeus had to cut us in half. So for the rest of your life, you're looking for, quote, your other half. And that should sound familiar, right? That's a, that's a modern conception of love that we've sort of continued to believe in. The notion that you meet somebody, you're searching your whole life. And the Greeks took that pretty literally, obviously, with that part of their mythology. Um, you're looking for your other half. And what Debutan is saying in this book, Essays in Love, among other works he has on love, is that that's not a great idea. He's asking us to examine love in what I would characterize as a more philosophical way. Right. So what he tells us here, and this is a quote from the uh, from the book, right? We base our fall into love upon insufficient material and supplement our ignorance with desire. And he goes on to say that we should never fall in love at first glance. So that's big, too. Right. You, you love somebody at first sight. Ask yourselves, do you believe in that? Do you believe in looking for your other half that you're sort of incomplete? Right? It's a very romantic idea. Right. That Tom Cruise line. You complete me. Was that Tom Cruise? I'm 80-20, that was Tom Cruise in a movie, let's run with it. So yes, the idea that you complete somebody, they complete you, implying like you're missing with that ancient Greek notion. Here we have another big idea in romanticism, love at first sight. He's literally saying we should not be doing that. We should never fall at first glance. It's a pretty clear nod to our kind of our cultural idea there, right? Um, what he's saying here is we should sort of trade that idea, and he sticks with this sort of metaphor of seeing, right? And we should work instead to create a clear-eyed investigation, right, of this other person. We should talk for him about their opinions on parenting, politics, art, science, and appropriate snacks for the kitchen before we open ourselves up to the potential decision, right, that we're ready to love this other person. It's a very interesting concept, right, because we have this very sort of emotional, I think at least in some, some aspects of our culture, our modern understanding, such a, an emotional approach to love. He's asking us here to not be unemotional, but he's asking us, I think, to apply our rational thinking skills and our rational living skills to the emotional aspects of love, such that it's healthier, right? Such that it's based a little bit more in knowledge. And ultimately what he argues is like, that's a healthier, more mature way of starting and perpetuating and sustaining a loving relationship with somebody. And he goes on to, you know, to say, quote, in the mature account of love, it is only when we truly know our partners that love deserves a chance to grow. And yet, in many realities of love, 
right? Love that is born precisely before we know. Increased knowledge may be as much a hurdle as an inducement, for it may bring a utopia into dangerous conflict with reality. So look before you leap is a sort of a general piece of advice here. And look, maybe even we could say, doesn't sound as great, right? Because it doesn't work in a grammatical way or it doesn't sound as great, but look carefully before you leap is sort of what he's saying here. And the ability to look carefully is a profoundly philosophical skill, right? Because ultimately what he's trying to say here with this notion of investigation, that's a skill we get in philosophy when we work to investigate ourselves and we work to have actually meaningful conversations with other people that are driven by questions, right? How do you get to know somebody really? Well, you could just sort of talk to them, make observations, right? Or you could ask them thoughtful questions. You can get down to what in a relationship, as we had in our meditation questions today to an extent, right? What in a relationship is important to you? One of those questions might be, you know, how should you feel in a relationship? Well, how you're going to feel in a relationship, again, it's going to involve the way you interact with this other person. So to really get down to some of the key ideas, virtues, and as he says here with his list, right, arts, science, politics, right, appropriate snacks, parenting, right, these are the ideas that will sort of populate a potential, let's say, long-term or serious relationship. So we have to first figure out where we stand on these things, right? Um, we have to figure out where we stand on these things. And also there's a great, I'm not sure if anybody watches Parks and Rec, but there's a great moment with uh, Aziz Ansari's character. Tom Haverford, where he says that he has a list of oh no no's, which are just things that will not fly for him in a relationship. And one of his oh no no's that comes up is 90s R&B preferences. Um, and I think having a list of things, okay, this is what I really would value or do value, for example, in my significant other. Here's how we can grow and continue to grow in these things and perpetuate these things. Um, and if you're, as he's saying here, if you're quote searching for let's say a meaningful relationship or meaningful romantic relationship, maybe sitting down and having a, you know, a conversation with yourself about what are the things you really want to strive for with this person and what are the things you'd like to avoid or the oh no no's or what are the characteristics in a person that you really value and others that you would like to avoid. And that list will look, I think, similar for a number of us, but we will all have our own different opinions too. We'll definitely list certain virtues in a different sort of, let's say, order of importance there definitely will be things that will annoy the hell out of me that other people would be way more uh, calm about that would maybe not even dawn on them as being a problem. And again, a lot of that centers on how we see ourselves moving in that space. So the honest conversations we can have with ourselves about how we are in a relationship, how we think we operate, what we offer, back to our meditation question today, how do we express love? All of these things are philosophical inquiries, right? Into the self, into you know, interpersonal relationships, the way we relate to others. And that's what Debutan is really asking of us here, right? To take the emotional aspect of love. And I don't think he's saying to necessarily remove it. He's saying to maybe be a little bit less in love with the emotional aspects of love and realize that there's some rational thinking to be done here that ultimately makes love healthier, right? So going into love, and we could talk about this too, this is I don't know why I just said we because no one's in the room with me right now, but I'm used to teaching, so it is what it is. Um, is love really blind? Or maybe the question should be, is healthy love blind? Do we want to be blind in love? Sometimes, maybe yes, right? Interesting question there, adding a time element to it. Should we be blind in love all the time? I think Debutan would say definitely not. And I would agree with that. 
Does love require some moments of deliberate, let's say, blindness? Yeah. Does love require the notion that it's unfair and unhealthy and impossible to think you could know somebody entirely? Yeah, of course. We, I mean, that's something we could argue, but I would argue that it is impossible to know somebody entirely. It's borderline impossible, and by that I mean it's probably impossible to even know ourselves entirely. We all surprise ourselves here and there, right? So once we sort of deal with these questions, we can get into a more mature, philosophical, and healthy understanding of what loving ourselves and others can be. So his idea here of look carefully before you leap is a very practical one because love, as he's saying here with that last example of appropriate snacks for the kitchen, that's a practical concern, but one that still warrants consideration that emotional love or let's say overly emotional love doesn't really consider. So when we think about the usefulness of philosophy, I mean, we need it to love in a way that's healthy, in a way that's, let's say, more clear-sighted. And we should strive for clear-sightedness and maybe realize that there will be moments of blindness. But another question might be, should we strive for blindness? Should that be what we aspire to, to do in love? Or should we aspire, as he's saying, to know the person very, very well? And then let the love develop from these collections of experiences and observations and interpretations and you know moments of meaningful, let's say, dialogue that we have with this other person. Should we base our love on blindness or should we base it more on some philosophy? Debutant's arguing, and I would agree here, that philosophy is what we should aim for, right? So he goes on a little bit to talk about what I think is the real clear example of how philosophy plays a role when he talks about the importance of teaching and learning, right? So all good teaching and learning is based on dialogue, right? We talked about maybe the, the word education or to educate like the Latin etymology, the breakdown of it is to raise up. So we've talked a little bit already about how in a healthy relationship, you are guiding each other towards goodness. You are helping each other grow. We had the great quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, right? Love that stops growing starts dying. So that involves teaching and learning because you're going to pull each other up right, in a positive direction. You're going to pull yourself up in a positive direction. So he says, quote, and this is from uh, the School of Life, how to Find Love, different book, another book I recommend. A flourishing relationship should be a forum in which we teach each other many things and gracefully learn in turn. If we understand ourselves properly, we will know that there are many sides of us that need improvement. Love aims to be a safe arena in which two people can gently teach and learn how to grow into better versions of themselves. Teaching and learning does not symbolize an abandonment of love. It is the basis upon which we can develop into better lovers, more broadly, better people. So this doesn't mean you should embark on a relationship trying to change the other person. That's not necessarily, I don't think, what he's saying here. That's, that's kind of an odd goal to have, especially at the onset of a relationship. We should love people for who they are. And we need to also realize, and this is something that, for example, Epictetus even comments on with friendships that were, you know, or let's say close friendships it's highly likely that we're going to shape each other. It's highly likely that, again, if you sit down and analyze it and think about it and examine it, people bring certain energy into your world that we could argue from, let's say, an existentialist perspective, that you are responsible for accepting and assimilating. And let's even say you're responsible for adopting the behaviors of the people around you. You cannot blame them 
It's one perspective, right? But it's highly likely going to, and it's likely going to be the case that we are influenced in some ways by the people around us. And we could then say, of course, that it's highly likely that we influence other people in a similar way. So when he's saying teaching and learning, that's more or less what that is, right? So if we can increase our awareness of how we're teaching and learning in our relationships and how we're developing into hopefully better people, how we're encouraging others to do the same, we can have healthy relationships. But we cannot do that with the greatest amount of awareness and consciousness and vigilance unless we sit and rethink about it. Right. So how are how have these people, in my opinion, and again, you could even, I think, have this conversation while taking responsibility to a high degree for what or who you've become as a result of these influences. Right. You don't necessarily need to say I'm more impatient because my friend John is impatient. I blame him. You could say I'm allowing John's behavior, his words to make me more of an impatient person and I can affect how he affects me. Right. I can, for example, when John is starting to exhibit that behavior or say those things, I can try to guide him towards patience, back to teaching and learning, right? So we're not necessarily going to take this in the direction where we're blaming others, but we, this is an important way to see how our relationships are functioning, right? So we also have to keep in mind that there are certain virtues that involve teaching and learning. We have to be open to learning. That takes humility. That also takes confidence. Those are two virtues, that are very helpful in loving others and loving ourselves. The next episode we're going to have is about how we get in our own way when we're working to love other people. How are we perhaps, you know, sabotaging ourselves and in so doing sabotaging our relationships. And for me, I map one of the sort of responses to that, to this, the important virtue we have a whole chapter on it of confidence. In order to teach someone, you also need confidence and humility because if you're arrogant, nobody's going to want to hear you. Right. And it's rude and you don't want to be arrogant anyway. But you need confidence to state your opinion. And of course, when we're teaching and learning, it's, it's rare that, especially in the context of a relationship, you know, in the context of, let's even say, an argument or what have you, which is one form of teaching and learning, that we're going to understand each other perfectly on the first time around. Right? So a lot of this will take another virtue, right? Patience. So all these things kind of come together, I think, really nicely. And Deb Bhutan is saying here that this is, you know, an important element of any, he said, flourishing, which is also a key word, because a lot of relationships that aren't flourishing aren't about teaching and learning in the same way. At the very least, too, you want a relationship where your significant other, and we could even extend this to family and friendships too, right, will encourage you to grow as a person. They want to encourage you to stagnate. When you have the goal, I want to go to school and get this degree, or I want to try and get this new job. You want people around you who, as long as it's a good thing, are going to encourage that. We aren't going to say, oh, why waste your time with that? You know, make and give you reasons to not pursue the good thing you're trying to pursue. So we have the more philosophical sense of this, which is within the relationships, you need to you know, practice healthy forms of dialogue to teach and learn from one another. And then an even more practical or let's say obvious way of, of seeing this, like if you're out here trying to learn and, and grow as a person and share goodness with people, they should be open to that. Right. So by that, I mean, you might even have to teach and learn how to teach and learn. And of course, we have to make sure we're doing this in a way that's humble and kind and patient, right? But we also have to work to surround ourselves with people who are open to cultivating that type of openness. As we said, we might be searching for a significant other. It's an important trait. 
right? And it's not necessarily, again, can I teach you this one thing? It's do they generally seem open to a life that's aimed at growth in positive ways? And we want to make sure we're also aiming our lives in that direction, right? Because it's going to set us up for healthy, flourishing relationships. And again, at the heart of good teaching and learning is philosophy, the love of wisdom. And one of the main practices, as I've said a lot this episode, as we see in our class a lot, is that dialogue as the art of self-care and as the art of service. You can't give somebody in any context what they need without asking them. Right? Unless, again, you somehow get very lucky, it's better off to just, and by that I mean you guess it right, it's better off to just learn how to ask good questions and listen attentively. And then respond to the best of your ability and then be open to being corrected if your response isn't what the other person thinks or is thinking they need, right? And they're able to maybe correct you in terms of your response not being authentic or truthful or fair. We have to be open to these things, right? So again, for love, we're cultivating that philosophical, rational thinking. We're asking meaningful well-articulated questions. We're open to learning from others. We're open to guiding others. All of this will lead us to more thoughtful, healthy, sustainable love relationships versus falling in love at first sight, getting carried away, or let's even say absolutely carried away by our emotions. Let's make, let's leave some room for getting carried away by our emotions because that can be a pleasant experience. It doesn't have to be, you know, a lie or anything like that, right? There could be some, I think, honesty there, but we don't want it to be excessive, right? This is sort of a little bit, we could think about Plato's idea of the soul, right? Just kind of briefly summarize that a little bit in this context, right? Your, your rational thinking abilities is what we're blessed with as humans. We want to let that lead us, which doesn't mean we don't get feelings or that we shouldn't even run with feelings, but we want to examine them with our rational thinking skills, right? So love at first sight, not so much. We want to maybe avoid that specific trope of our understanding of love, right? This notion of you complete me, like we said a couple episodes ago, you need a self. You want a strong self that you are confident in when we embark on any relationship. And we always work to serve others, and we can also in a daily life work to care for ourselves. We should on a, daily, you know, on a daily basis hopefully love others and also practice things that help us love ourselves. So all these things kind of work together, I think, really nicely. Hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.